Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And so this is part 12 in a series called Subtle Deception. Whenever I have an opportunity to bring the family into a, into a message, I will, because that's where most of us live. And see, Satan knows that in God's plan, the family is the primary institution. Some have called the family the, the building block of society. I just finished a personal study of the book of Deuteronomy. As Moses addresses the younger generation that's going to go into the promised land, if there's one thought that comes through, it's pass on the principles of God's word to your kids. Pass it on to your children so they can pass it on to their, to another, to their children and their children and their children uh, and so on down the line. Teach your family God's word. That really is the theme that came through to me as I studied the book of Deuteronomy. And the key in the book of Deuteronomy is chapter 6 beginning in verse 4 where, where Moses says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you are to be upon your hearts, not just your minds. These commandments I give you are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when? When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And that's the theme through the whole book, Deuteronomy 31, 13. Their children who do not know this law, listen, must hear it, the divine must, and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you're crossing in the Jordan to possess. That theme recurs over and over and over and over again. Teach your family the word of God. See, God's trying to drive something home. And the devil knows that, and so he lies. Satan knows if he can um, undermine the family, he can bring down our whole culture. And so he lies. I, I read this book by John MacArthur, who's a great Bible teacher. It's not a book, it's a study guide. And he kind of sets the scene here. He said, um, called The Fulfilled Family. He said, our generation is watching the death of marriage and the family as we know it. Uh, among the many factors um, contributing to its destruction are, and these are all lies of Satan, immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, abortion, sterilization, feminism, delinquency, and sexual rebellion. All these things are like strands in a cord that strangle the family. I like that. I mean, I like that analogy. I mean, there are many opinions about the restructuring of the family. Some sociologists say marriages need to change. We need to have open marriages. That's gay rights and all that stuff. And non-marriages, that's living together. And that it really doesn't matter whether marriages continue as they have in the past. Today, another lie. He says, people are groping without any base of authority to try and find out how to make meaningful relationships in a disintegrating society. And the base of authority is the word of God. It's time for Christians to reiterate the divine pattern. Our marriages and families should demonstrate a way of living that's rewarding, meaningful, and fulfilling. That divine pattern should be evident as the world looks at Christian marriages. Well, see, well, see, what I want to say is we are at war. We're at war to keep families committed to God. Today we're going to talk about the gender lie that men should be more like, that, that, that men should be more like women and women should be more like men. That's kind of messing with God's pattern or better yet, God's wisdom in Scripture. And the devil knows that very thing. And so every demon he has, he instructs them, feminize men and um, get people to believe that women are this strong, unshakable leader type. Just reverse the roles. 
I mean, that's right out of hell, people, and that smells like smoke. I mean, every Sunday, our kids and our family, grandkids and all, they come over to the house and we have pizza and salad. And I sit and watch these preteen shows on the Cartoon Channel and Toon Disney. But I don't know the names of all these, um, these half-hour shows, but in each of them, the dads are weak and the moms are strong. And my kids tell me the worst is Fairly Odd Parents. I have not ever watched Fairly. How many have watched Fairly Odd Parents? They say, that, okay, they say the dad is the classic idiot. Just the classic, number one bumbling idiot in that story. A lot of you remember the big hullabaloo over the California law that balance, that, that um, it bans any reference to gender in school books, and that's, that's still a law there, including pictures. You cannot show a mom cooking. You cannot show a dad going to work because that's building stereotypes. See, uh, or, or a mom taking care of the house and a dad going out to work to support his family. See, those, those are stereotypes. And you know if um, this genderless culture is mandated in one state, that it's very likely it's going to come this way and happen in others. In his book, Bringing Up Boys, by, by, in the book, Bringing Up Boys by James Dobson, there's a chapter that, that's entitled, Men Are, capital R, Men Are Fools. And James Dobson cites one commercial after another, one movie after another, one, one TV program after another, where guys are portrayed like this. They are beer-drinking sports fanatics. They're beer-drinking sports fanatic, and a girl walks by in tight jeans or a tight blouse, and they go Bob Gaga, you know? I just read this in this book. It's, it's a rather old book, and these commercials were from years ago, but not a whole lot has changed. And I said, that's exactly what they're doing. And women are presented most of the time as more rational, more self-controlled, on top of their game. See, that's a role reversal. You know Satan controls the media. You know that. You know that. And today, today, women are in dangerous positions in the military. I'll come right out and say it. They have no business being in active combat. They have no business. They have no business being in dangerous law enforcement positions. They have no business doing that because the Bible teaches that women are to be provided for and protected, and that's man's business. But man, we have turned this whole deal around, man. Most companies are dropping all gender lies. That's the devil's lie. Folks, a guy is a guy and a girl is a girl. The Bible says in Genesis 1.27, hear this. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. Male and female, that's it. Male and female, he created them. He doesn't want the genders to come together. He doesn't want there to be any, I mean, this whole distinction, you know, there's no distinction between male and female. It's totally contrary to God's will. Now, what, now, now, now where do you begin with this whole thing? When we look at these devil's lies, I, you know, I always have to look at who God is. That's where I begin. I begin everything as I look at these lies with the character of God. And the character aspect of God I thought about this week was God is a righteous God. He is a righteous God. The whole Bible attests to the righteousness of God. Deuteronomy 33, 21. He carried out, I'm quoting, the Lord's righteous will. That means the Lord's will is righteous. Psalm 129, verse 4. The Lord, the Lord himself. God in his being, his person, is righteous. Acts 27, 52, Stephen the martyr, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, calls him the righteous one. And the one I want to focus on this morning, and this is just, just one of hundreds of passages talking about the righteousness of God. Jeremiah 12, 1, when I bring a case before you, a case of judgment before you, says the prophet Jeremiah, O Lord, you are always righteous. So, righteous means very simply, this is about as simplistic as I can make it. When it says the Bible says God is righteous, it means he is always right. When you think of righteous, the righteousness of God, you say to yourself, God is always right. That is Jeremiah 12.1. 
This is God's testimony to himself. This is the passage you need to memorize for today. Oh, Lord, you are always, always right. That's what Jeremiah said. Now, remember this, too. God is his word. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was what? The word. Jesus was the word. In the beginning and the word was God, okay? And the word was with God. So God is his word. Now, follow my logic here, or the Bible's logic. If God is always right and never wrong, if God is his word, then his word is always right and never wrong. You follow that logic? Now, do you believe that? That God in his word is always right and never wrong. Do you believe that, see? Because devils want to convince you that men are basically helpless. I mean, they need women to lead them, direct them, control them, and seduce them. But the deal is, folks, God is always right. Okay, if you believe this, that God is always right, Jeremiah 12.1. If you believe that God is always right, that, God's, that God is his word and God's word is always right, are you willing to find out what, God word says, what God's word says in every issue? And knowing that God's word is always right. Now, this is a big question. Are you willing to accept the fact that God's word is always right? And you should allow, if you believe that, will, will, will you submit to that word of God? Will you allow that word of God to shape how you're thinking? And if you're thinking wrongly, will, will you allow the word of God to change the way you think? And then will you act on that word of God if you know it's absolutely right? See, you got to go back to that passage in Jeremiah. Lord, you're always, always right. You are never, ever wrong. Jeremiah 12.1. And so today, God is always right about men being men and women being women. So what's a man's role? Well, first of all, a man needs to be a leader. That's God's word. And that's borne out in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we see that men are leaders. Because Christ had just been born. He's a baby. And the wise men had come and they had said to King Herod, we have come to see the newborn king. And when Herod heard that word king, he got all bent out of shape, see? He says, hey, there can't be another king besides me. I'm the only king. And so Herod the king determined, well, I'm going to just take the life of all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem, two years old and under. There's no king but me. We're not going to raise this kid to be a king. I'm going to wipe all those kids out. And so what does God do? This is um, Matthew chapter 2, and this is verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, he said, take the child and, and take his mother and escape to Egypt Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and try and kill him. So Joseph takes his family and goes down to Egypt. Then you go down to verse 19. And um, Herod died. So an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again in Egypt. Now he's in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he goes back to the land of Israel. He gets to Bethlehem where he was going to go and put, you know, just take up residence in Bethlehem. And it says in verse um, 22, having been warned in a dream again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, and so the baby could be called the Nazarene, or Jesus of Nazareth. Now, here's the question you need to ask when you read that stuff. God appeared to Joseph three times in a dream, and we always associate babies with moms. Okay, why did God appear to Joseph and not Mary? That's the, I read that, and that's the first thing I asked. Why did God appear to Joseph and, to not, and, and not to Mary? Because it was Joseph's responsibility to protect his family and to lead that family where God directed. Why didn't God come to Mary? It wasn't a responsibility, folks. Her responsibility was to nurse that baby, smother that baby with love, make that baby feel warm and secure. I mean, was Joseph a guy that his wife needed to control, cajole, manipulate, and seduce to get him to do what she wanted because he was some kind of a doofus and needed to be directed by her? Of course not. God came to Joseph. 
He was the head. He was the leader of the family. Three times in a dream, God came to Joseph and he did not come to Mary. And that takes you back to Genesis 3, where God established at the beginning the roles of men and women. And you know the deal. Um, Sin brought a curse on the creation. God pronounced a curse first on the serpent, then on the woman, then on the man. And in so doing, in pronouncing that curse upon the whole creation, God really established the roles of men and women, the biblical roles that the devil's trying to distort. And now here's something you got to know too. I mean, the word of God doesn't change with our culture. You know, the devil wants you to believe that that's one of the devil's lies. You know, the devil, the devil wants you to believe, you know, the word of God was okay way back then. You know, man was a leader way back then, but the culture has changed. Get with it, you know? That's how the devil wants you to think. And so, well, look, I mean, look at Genesis 3.19 and the role of a man, or Genesis 3.17. The Bible said, cursed is the ground because of you. You listened to your wife and ate the fruit. Now listen, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It's going to produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plant and you will eat the plants of the field. Now look at this, verse 19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. It's the man who has to go out into that cursed, that thorn thistle world and work and support and protect his family. That's the man's obligation. That's why God came to Joseph in a dream and not to Mary. And then you look at the woman's role. And this is Genesis 3, 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in, see that word, childbearing, okay? And with pain, you will give birth to children. And so right at the outset, right at the very beginning, right there in the Garden of Eden, God defined the role of a woman. She's always connected with children, home, family, and so on. So, man, sweat out there in a cursed world. And guys, that means Bible study. It means you got to dig into that word. You got to know God's will because you're out there in a cursed world and you can't let those values of the world seep into your soul, man. That's for anybody. And then women, children, home, and all that kids' home and family involves. And see, that's right because God is righteous. Now, look at the next part of this um, curse upon the woman. Childbearing was one thing. But this part, next part, is, is tougher. It says your desire will be for your husband. And that's not, that's not sexual because women normally don't chase men around the house. It's usually vice versa. Your desire, will not, will, will, your, your desire will be for your husband. And that's a very particular word. It's, it's your desire to control. You, you, you will have the desire to control your husband. Now look at the next part. And he will rule over you. See, God gave man headship, and he knew that it would be very, very difficult for women. See, God said, he knew that right at the outset, folks. But here's what you got to know, that men and women are equally precious to one another, to God. They're equally precious to God. They're, they're, there's, you know, one is not created better than another. No, that, no way. Man and woman are equally precious to God. They're cherished by God. But they have different roles in God's plan. And that just magnifies the wisdom of God. God made men for leadership. And so, ladies, I've got to ask you, do you let them lead? Or do you try and take it away by whatever means? See, that's just what the devil wants. When you try and take away that leadership, you're just playing right into the devil's hands. Hey, this man-woman thing, you know, that was for Abraham and Sarah thousands of year ago, years ago. That's not for today. Listen, this is God's word. Another aspect of God's character is he is his word and he is unchangeable. God is unchangeable. He does not change. And if God is his word, if God himself is unchangeable or immutable, I think is the theological term. If God himself is immutable, so is his word immutable and unchangeable. And how do men lead, man? They lead by being a servant and by character. 
In John chapter 10, Jesus, the perfect leader, said, he said this in John chapter 10, verse 11. He said, I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, folks, that is servant leadership. And let me stress that again. Men lead by servant leadership. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Servant leadership. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep follow me because they know me. See, they know me. They know my character. They know my servant character. They know I'll lay down my life for them, and so they follow me. See, people follow a man of character, and so men lead by example. And folks, i got to say this. This is only a thumbnail sketch of the role of a man or the biblical picture of what a man should be. I mean, each of these, each of these points is a, is a message in itself. But here's another one. Men also stand for what they believe, and they are willing to die for what they believe. And I believe that should apply to any believer, but especially to a man as the head of his family. Men are willing to die for what they believe, and that brings respect, I'll tell you. And you don't back down. And I got to say this to ladies, ladies who are not married, you never marry a guy. You never marry a guy who doesn't have biblical principles and isn't willing to die for him. Man, you got to pass it on to your kids. I mean, this is why if you're single or, you know, or, you know, some of this stuff doesn't apply, you can pass this on to anybody. You, you, you tell a young lady, you never, ever marry a man who isn't willing to die for his principles. The Bible also says the man is a spiritual leader. The spiritual leader of the home, it says this in Ephesians 5.25, a lot of you know this, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a very oft-quoted passage. But why do you lay down your will? But, but, but why, why do you love your, your wife as Christ loved the church? Listen, to make her holy, he laid down his life to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water, and the water he used was the word of God and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless, to wash his wife and kids with the word of God, to let that word and its truth pour over them like water, and to present them holy and acceptable when the Lord comes again. That's man's number one obligation. Number one, to find every possible avenue to bring his family in touch with God's word and people who have that same value. That's, that's top priority with God's man. I mean, I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy 6 again. This is all the way back. This is, this is what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. It says, um, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Guys, that, that spiritual obligation begins with you. They're to be upon your hearts, see? Impress them on your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands bind them on your foreheads write them on your door frames and on your gates see a guy's obligation is to provide and protect that's part of a guy's that's part of a guy's role that 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 defines a guy's role but but a man's role is more than that you, you never get so consumed with this world. It's your job, guys primarily your job to keep this world in perspective but a man's main deal is to present his family acceptable to Jesus Christ forever. And that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And guys, if you're not doing that, then, then I got to say this. If you're not doing that, then what you're telling God is you're saying, God, you're not righteous. Because righteous means right. God is always right. And what you're saying to God is, I have a better idea of what men should be than what God tells us in his word. And ladies, if your husband is that or working on that, then I got to tell you, you got to treasure. Let him lead. Beat the devil at his own devil at his own game because devils want you to have this doofus picture of your husband.
He has character. He leads by example. He stands for what he believes. He never presents a double standard. His passion as a husband and dad is to wash his family with the word and to know in his heart they will stand acceptably before the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again by trusting in Jesus Christ and he will make certain they get washed with the word of God. And ladies, you respect him. You don't ever wear him down with your words. That doesn't mean don't be critical and redirect him when he needs it, but, but don't wear him down with your words because Ephesians 5.35 says this, and we'll talk a lot about this next week. It says a man must love his wife as himself. So the chief need of a woman is love, but a woman must respect her husband. And you got to know that the chief need of a man is not love. They don't need to know I love you as much as they need to know you respect them. Now, God's picture for a woman. And we, we go right back to Genesis 3. In verse 16, you know, to the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and, and with pain you will give birth to children. And so it takes it right back to kids, home, and family. And I know there's some girls here who aren't married, and they'd love to be married, or maybe they wouldn't love to be married. I know that. I'm aware of that. You know, some of these preachers get all hung up on moms who work. I, I, I got to say, honestly, you know, that's not me, but I want to qualify that in just a minute. But there's so many preachers who say, you know, mom should always be at home. Mom should not be out working well. Let me read you Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 talks about this ideal woman. I mean, she has the perfect home. She has great kids. Her husband is a community leader. She compliments them. She sews clothes for herself and for the poor, and she looks like some beauty queen herself. How many women are there like that, huh? Now listen, in Proverbs 31, this perfect woman, almost ideal woman, deals in real estate. Listen to this. She considers a field and buys it, and out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Out of her earnings. So she's out there supplementing the family income. Verse 18, she's in commerce. She sees that her trading is profitable. She buys and sells and trades, see? All I'm saying is, ladies, God's given you gifts and talents. He's trained and developed you. He wants you to use those gifts to bless people, and he doesn't want us sitting idle. But here's the deal. Let me qualify all that now. The husband is to be a strong, godly influence on his children. But according to Genesis 3.16, as God defines roles, the woman is to be the primary influence on the children. She is to be home. If you're going to be the primary influence on the kids, you got to be home. You got to be with those kids. And where's the guy supposed to be? He's supposed to be out in that sin-cursed world, right? Here's the point. Here's the point. This is right. This is right. When you fit in with God's plan, you know, he'll give you what you need. And moms need to be with those kids in the formative years and pour the values that she and her husband have into those children so those kids are molded and formed and shaped in biblical principles and grow up to love Jesus more than anything in their life. That is a mom and dad's responsibility together, but I'm going to say on the basis of this word of God, is the primary responsibility of the mom. You've got to be with those kids. And you do what you have to to fit in with God's role or God's plan. And if you don't have children or you're beyond childbearing age, then you can still pass these truths on to other people. God is righteous. I mean, his, I mean, his way revealed in his word works. It works because it's right. It's from a perfect God. And this is only a brief general sketch of what God says about genders. And you got to remember the lie. The devil's lie is that women should be more like men. They should be out there in that workaday world, you know. They should be commanding the troops and all that stuff. That is such nonsense. And men should be feminized and more like women. But there are some special challenges to women that I feel are really, really tough. I mean, this deal like um, submission. 1 Peter 3.3. 3. Look at 1 Peter 3.3. 3. Peter is talking to women, and wives in particular, okay? And he says, your beauty should not be 
from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry and clothes and stuff like that. All he's talking about is when you're in a worship setting, you know, you don't want to call attention to yourself. He didn't say don't look nice. But he goes on to say, yeah, your beauty should be, instead it should be that of your inner self. Listen, your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So the word of God says to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit, and that's really tough. I mean, that's a challenge above most challenges for some women. It really is. How do you do that? How do you cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit? I mean, there's got to be a way to do that. I think the first way I would do that, I would have to understand. I'd have to understand this is God's will. That's the first thing I have to tell myself. This is God's will. I understand this is God's will, and I want to be everything God wants me to be. And so with that in mind, I would work at a gentle and quiet spirit. And I would, the second thing I would have to do is, you know, that, 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 that takes a supernatural act of God because for some people that's not, you don't do that by nature. So I would pray for that supernatural grace of God earnestly. I'd be in earnest prayer. Number one, I would understand this is God's will and God wants me to be that. Number two, I would pray earnestly for that grace. And number three, I'd practice it. You know, anything you practice is contrary to your nature. You keep doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. Practice gentle, practice quiet. Keep doing it, keep doing it keep doing it until it becomes natural see it's tough but god's grace is sufficient and i believe that women can experience the huge grace of god in a way men can't i mean you can do this or it wouldn't be in this book this is right and god is righteous i mean look god says to husband verse seven god says it to husbands in verse seven of first peter chapter three he's husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives i think ken james does a better job with that it says wives husbands live with your wives according to understanding in other words, work to understand her and the stuff she deals with and the struggles she, st she struggles with and understand what a pain you can be at times, guys. So, so guys, you make it a pleasure. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.